If you have one of those Bible or scriptural journals in front of you, go ahead and turn to chapter 5 of Matthew. If you have your Bible, that's just dandy as well. But we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 31. I think that it's important as you guys turn there to notice that Jesus is still really expounding and continuing his train of thought from verse 17 when he spoke these words, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. He's speaking of the things that he has come to fulfill in this world. He hasn't set God's law aside. He is not discounting it. He is fulfilling that law. And so what's important for us to remember is that as he continues on, he's doing this, I wouldn't say systematically, but it's almost so. Because the first thing that he addressed was the sixth commandment. And then the seventh commandment, as he takes us to the heart of the issues of our anger and of our lust and shows that the anger of the heart leads to murder and that the lust of the heart leads to adultery. And so he's showing that the issues that we allow, the sin that we allow to exist within our hearts is what's the source of our problem. It's the root. And so Jesus continues to talk about these things, revealing that when we let these issues These sins, such as anger and lust, have strongholds within our hearts. We will reap sin and destruction without our lives. In other words, on the outside. So lack of purity purity within will beget purity without. And so when we're dealing with these types of things, we need to be really honest with the heart. This causality is a reality of what we sow. What we see happening in our lives so many times can be a reality of what we sow. Now, we live in a sinful world, but so many times we want to blame a sinful world for our problems rather than the sin that's inside of our own hearts. And what we sow within, the seeds that you plant within, we know that that brings a harvest. And the question is, what are we planting? What's taking root in our hearts? What's getting heart deep within us? Paul explains it so well in Galatians chapter 6. Verses 7 through 9, he says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. And here comes the verse that I love quoting to you guys. I quote this verse often to you. Verse 9 of Galatians 6, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't get up, if we don't give up. Notice this. We're going to reap the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to reap from that goodness that we're planting in this world and allowing to grow in our own hearts. But what are we going to reap if we're sowing sin? What are we going to reap if we're sowing sin? Well, it's going to be corruption. It's going to be destruction. And it's going to not only mar us, but it's going to mar the people around us. One thing leads to another. Turns out the song is right. It matters, most of the teens are like, there's a song about that? You ask your parents. It matters what seeds are taking root within our hearts, okay? It matters what's going on in the heart. It's what's coming out of your life. It's going to be proven through those things. Prohibition of murder, Jesus makes clear, included the angry thought and the insulting word. The prohibition of adultery included the lustful look and imagination. He says, get down inside. You realize that these things didn't just happen in a moment, that you cultivated these thoughts, that you cultivated these sinful things in your own heart before they started coming out. And so Jesus goes right to the heart. That's why in a rattling way that would have shaken so many of the people that were listening to him teach when he said, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. It needs to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. We look at that and we look at how they stood against Jesus. We're like, we're not big Pharisee fans here. So that's fine. 
But in that day, they were the spiritual leaders. They were the spiritual elite, if you will. And so he looked at these common people and said, your righteousness has to exceed the spiritual elite. And they're like, but they look so good. And Jesus says, exactly. They look so good, but inside is death. Dead men's bones. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. So now Jesus moves to address another falsity of the Pharisees and subsequently takes us naturally to one of the effects that lust and adultery has in our lives. As he's expanded upon the seventh commandment and included the tenth, he's included these different commands. And now he's saying, so when you let this get hold of you, what happens to our relationships when we let lust lead to adultery? When we let these things digress in our hearts and our lives, it affects our marriages. It tears the family apart. And so now we see Jesus address broken marriages. What's interesting to me is two things before we get into this. One, this would have been much more difficult to hear, and I'll show you why in a minute, in Jesus' time than ours. I think we look at it now and we're like, oh, marriage doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> in Jesus' day, it meant less. You're like, oh, no, it was so much more, so much more pure and, and, and idealistic. No, 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 no. No, no, you misunderstand. I'll show you in a second. This would have been a harder message to preach in his day than it is now. Secondly, I can't speak for all of us, but many of us know the effect that divorce has had on our lives. We share a common pain. We share a hurt in this area in many ways. Whether it's our marriages that have fallen apart, our parents, maybe siblings, divorce has left its mark on many of us. It's affected most of us in one way or another. And Jesus is speaking to the issue of his day. And by understanding that perspective and applying the lesson to be learned, my prayer is this, that we would avoid the pitfalls of our forebears. Or maybe receive forgiveness and restoration where we've struggled to do so. Because Jesus seeks to forgive and restore. Because when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At least that's what John wrote. You guys, Jesus wants to restore us. If we believe Scripture to be the Word of God, then we can be convinced that the teaching of Jesus on this and every subject is good. It's intrinsically good. It's good for individuals and it's good for society. This love and direction being offered from our Savior is important for us to receive and to receive in a way that we understand He's attempting to heal us. Those who have been affected directly and indirectly. So let's not shy away. Let's not hide our emotion. Let's not hide our pain. We can be open with each other about these things. We can be honest about these things and how it's affected us. I stand up here under no pretension that this hasn't affected my life. It has directly. And so I'm not here to pretend like it hasn't hurt. There are some studies I don't want to do. This was one. But it's important because Jesus addresses it, and he addresses it honestly. And he gives us hope. Don't you love it when Jesus gives you hope in the midst of despair? In the midst of what it looks like in the world, he gives you peace. So let's look to Jesus. Let's let him correct our hearts and our minds according to his will. Along with reading Matthew 5, 31 through 32, I'm going to then directly read Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, where Jesus has asked questions about divorce. And so I'm going to combine these two texts because it kind of gives you, in Matthew's gospel, a full view of what Jesus said about divorce. 
You have your journal, hopefully, in front of you. You can read along from Matthew 5, and then we'll put Matthew 19 on the screen. But it's in there, too, because it's all Matthew. So if you want to flip over, that's cool, too. And again, I'm not saying, like, that's the only thing you should be reading. If you have your Bible, I mean, you rock. Just use your Bible. It's all good. Just want to get the Word of God in your hands and on your screens. You know, wouldn't wouldn't our lives be better if the Word of God was in our hands and on our screens all the time instead of Facebook? You know, you just opened your Bible and just read the Scriptures instead of going on social media. Imagine all the people. (laughs) Matthew 5. This is what Jesus says. That's what we need to hear. We don't need to hear Mike. Verse 31. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now reading from Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9. Some of the Pharisees approached him to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Note that. Any grounds. It's important. Haven't you read, he replied, Jesus speaking, that he who created created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Very similar to what we read in Matthew 5.32. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? that Jesus takes the Pharisees directly to the Old Testament scriptures. Now, uh, we'll get to this, this passage as we go along, but here's some perspective that's really important to dig into and know and why Jesus responded the way he did. We know that a current controversy at this very time when Jesus was teaching about divorce was being conducted between rival rabbinical schools. The rival schools were the school of Hillel and Shammai. Rabbi Shammai took a rigorous line and taught from Deuteronomy 24.1, that the sole ground for divorce was some grave matrimonial offense, something evidently unseemly or indecent. It was so heinous, you couldn't even really speak of it. He was on the far end of this spectrum, seeing like, this has to be something so horrible, it just you can't even speak of it. Rabbi Hillel, on the other hand, held a very lax view. If we can trust the Jewish historian Josephus, which many of you are familiar with, this was the common attitude of that day. They followed in the school of Hillel, and he taught this. He applied the Mosaic provision to a man who desires to be divorced from his wife for any cause whatsoever. What is any cause whatsoever? Well, he would classify it and argue on the ground for divorce as something unseemly that that could be interpreted in the widest possible way to include a wife's most trivial offenses. Your natural curiosity should say, such as what? Guys, this is not okay. If she was an incompetent cook and burned your food, you could divorce her. (laughs) Oh boy. I'm already regretting this. If, if he lost interest in her because of her plain looks, because he became enamored of so, with some other more beautiful women, then they could divorce their wife of that. You're, you're not pretty enough for me to be married to anymore. 
And all the women of our culture are like, what? And rightly so. You should be outraged. That's outrageous. And it was the common teaching of the day. Hillel had a large following. Large following. Now, culturally at this time, recognize that this is something far more than like, well, now what am I going to do? This is your covering. This is your provision. This is your livelihood. In that culture, to have your husband get rid of you because you didn't cook his food right, he was kicking you out into the cold and likely with nowhere to go. Society wasn't providing for women this time. This was horrible for women. This would leave women without covering, provision, leave them abandoned, uncared for, and Jesus wasn't having it. Can I get an amen from the women? Because that's awesome. He wasn't having it. He wasn't going to allow it. Sorry, I I don't get to call out the girls very often, so I was like, can I get an amen from the women? (laughs) Jesus is standing up for gals. He's like, you can't do this for any reason. That's not okay. The Pharisees seem to have been learning from Rabbi Hillel's direction, which explains their question of Jesus in Matthew 19.3. And I pointed it out to you. Can a man divorce his wife for any cause? Do you notice how open-ended that is? By the way, any cause was the burnt food and the any cause. I don't like you anymore. We're done. It's garbage. In Matthew 19, Jesus is answering a question as to which side of things he lands on. You've never been pitted against people in this way, have you, politically? Where someone's like, well, whose side are you on? Are you over there? Are you over there? What side do you stand? What team are you a part of? Are you team Shammai or are you team Hillel, right? (laughs) Are you team Colin? you team Jacob? Anyway, so (laughs) pastors, we're never dealing with this ever right? We never, we never face these types of challenges. People like, well, whose side are you on pastor? Think carefully. I give to this church, right? You guys, Jesus is trying to be pitted against people groups. What does Jesus do? He points to the father. How did God set this up? What did God say? You guys want to take the high road? Point to the Lord and say, what does God say? What does God's word say on this issue? What does God have to say about marriage? What does God have to say about culture? What does God have to say about sin? And stand with God where he is. You know what? Here's the thing. If God has made things clear, I don't want to be anywhere near on the opposite side of him. I don't want to be facing him as his enemy ever. I think that's pretty smart. We're talking about the ultimate power in the universe. And I think it's also very loving to want to stand with the one who saved your soul from sin and death, which you deserve. Where does God land on this? Jesus, of course, answers correctly, as should we all. We agree with what God has said. You see, the Pharisees were preoccupied with the grounds for divorce. Jesus focuses on something different. Jesus focuses on the institution of marriage. Jesus focuses on what marriage is called to be in the eyes of God. The Pharisees want to know what they can get away with. As a youth pastor, I experienced this a lot. When I was a youth pastor, over and over again, kids come to my office. So, and whenever they said so, I was like, please leave. Like, I know why you're here. I love you, but I don't want to answer this question. They come to me like, so, if I were to find myself, you're in sin. Go apologize to your parents, your friends, whoever, and get your you know, life right with Jesus. Here, we, we so often are like, so what can I, how close to this line can I get? If I put my foot here, is that sin? 
right? If, can I do this? If, if this person does this to me, am I okay with being a little angry with them? I mean, like, where's the line here? I just want to know where the line is. You see, Jesus isn't focusing on what the Pharisees are looking at in regards to the grounds for divorce. He points to the institution of marriage and says, this is what God has desired from the beginning. Are you doing that? Are you fulfilling that? Are you striving and driving in your life to honor his institution of marriage to the best of your ability? By understanding what God intends for marriage to be, we understand how to address our sinfulness on account of both husbands and wives. No one is left out of this. It doesn't fall to one person or the other. It's a team effort because the two have become one. Jesus takes us back to Genesis in Matthew 19 verses 4 through 6 and reveals that marriage is supposed to be two things. He says, haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus points out two things. Number one, marriage is exclusive. It's one man. It's one woman. He made them from the beginning, male and female. This is the word of God. God designed us to be the way that we are. And we know that 90% of people will be married by the age of 50. That's a pretty high percentage. Most people get married. All the teens are like, just, I'm going to be alone forever. Nah, you'll just be alone for a couple decades. But if you think about this, oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have teens. It's fine. They'll be waiting at the front doors with paddles to beat on me as I come in this afternoon. How dare you say we'll be alone? Because you will. Anyway, but marriage is exclusive. It's one male and one female. And marriage is intended to be permanent. Marriage is intended to be permanent. John Stott summarizes Jesus' outline so well. Thus, marriage, according to our Lord's exposition of its origins, is a divine institution by which God makes permanently one of two people who decisively and publicly leave their parents in order to form a new unit of society and then become one flesh. I love it when guys say things eloquently. Now, this is a great plan. This is God's plan. But how many of us have seen it very much messed up? How many of us have experienced the brokenness that sin brings into this picture? That's where my words are not words of condemnation. My words are, are of encouragement because God who called this to be something perfect will renew us and make us perfect in the end. And let me just say this in, the, in, in this moment. If you have been broken and harmed and hurt by divorce in any way, shape, or form, it is not too big of a thing for God to heal you and take you forward. Submit yourself to Jesus. Don't run away from him. He wants to heal you through that process. If sin had not entered the picture, it would have remained untainted and pure. Marriage would have been what God called it to be. But here we are. And in a westernized culture where more than 90% of people marry by age 50, 40 to 50% of those marriages will end in divorce. This is a secular study. The divorce rate for subsequent marriages is even higher. Because most of us move on without dealing with the heart. That's why Jesus calls us to the heart. Just for note, healthy marriages are good for couples' mental and physical health. This is according to a secular study. 
They're also good for kids. Growing up in homes such as these protects kids from mental, physical, and education and social problems. If you're in a situation or you have been in a situation where these factors were not all together in play, that doesn't mean there's no hope for you. It means that you need to trust in Jesus even more. And you need to lean into him and rely on him even more for his grace is sufficient for you. Continue to let the Lord go in heart deep and heal. Reasons for divorce that are recognized as justifiable in our culture are pretty broad in variety. You realize that all in all, culture has justified divorce to the point where you can just say, we have irreconcilable differences if you read what the movie stars say. Irreconcilable, that's what they cite. We appreciate your privacy, even though everything else in our lives has been very public, more so than you ever need to see. But we are irreconcilably different from each other, and so we're just going to move on and be happy with someone else. And those divorce rates increase incrementally as they leave each other just because they're not happy or having fun together anymore. But the variety continues. There can be infidelity, lack of commitment, arguments, and abuse. I'm going to come back to that one. There can be lots of reasons why divorce happens. And I'm not pretending in any way, shape, or form to stand up here and say, your divorce was wrong, or this was wrong, or that was wrong. I just call us to Scripture. And that's also why I meet with people personally. Because I need to hear the story. And being a part of this ministry in this church, that's what I'm here to do, to get to know you and get to know your story and to help you navigate things biblically. Not to stand up here and give you a one-off statement and say, you're right or wrong. I'd rather just hear. And we'll look at God and see what he says. Because in the end, my opinion doesn't matter much unless it lines up with his. Amen? None of our opinions matter much if it doesn't line up with what he says. In fact, they don't matter at all. It has to line up with what God has said. Jesus makes his stance very clear on this exception for the unbreakable bond of marriage in God's eyes. He says in verse 32, I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife except in a case of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's implying that the people that in these situations, it makes sense now when you consider the teaching of Hillel that this was divorce for the sake of just getting something better or different or prettier or that didn't burn the meal, right? That there was an implied, I'm going to just remarry automatically and these types of things. And he says this, if you do this for these reasons, with the exception of sexual immorality, he says, what you do when you reunite with someone, you're committing adultery. He takes us back to the seventh commandment, which he dealt with prior. He says, in the end, you're doing this because of lust. You're doing this because of selfishness. If it's anything else besides sexual immorality, notice the responsibility. Check this out. Look at verse 32. He says, I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, who's he addressing? You can say it. Who's he addressing? Men. Get ready, guys. Except in the case of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman, who's he addressing in that statement? Men again. Guys are like, how did you get me to come to church this morning? The one morning I can sleep in. Notice the responsibility is falling on the husbands. Guys, we're being called out. We are being called out together. 
The two camps of teaching by the rabbis at this point, as you read this verse, men were being empowered to cast their wives out via divorce for ridiculous reasons. And Jesus solidifies what marriage is and puts the accountability upon men for caring for their wives in the way that God intended. Paul will go on to describe it and said, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Work on that for the rest of your life. Jesus died on the cross for us. He was abused for us. He was beaten and bloodied and marred for us. Work on that for the rest of your life. We'll do it together, guys. That's why we need each other. Because it's not going to be easy. But we have to be able to take whatever comes for the sake of our families. Because what God has brought together and made one, let no man separate. Fight for your marriages. Don't fight in your marriages. The only exception for a non-divorce stance is sexual immorality. The Greek word, as many of you are familiar with, is pornea. Where do we get our word pornography from? The Greek word. RVG Tasker concluded that pornea is a comprehensive word, including adultery, fornication, and unnatural vice. It's not a super broad spectrum, but it's more than just what we would consider pornography to be in our day. One commentator summarized what Jesus says in this way, and I really liked it because I feel like it connects with us. You've heard of the appeal of Jewish teachers to Deuteronomy 24.1 in the interest of substantiating a policy which permits husbands freely at their own pleasure to divorce their wives simply by providing them with a duly attested document of the transaction. But I say to you that such irresponsible behavior on the part of a husband will lead him and his wife and their second partners into unions, which are not marriage, but adultery. I don't leave this up to the state. God has set the standard. God has set the standard. Don't worry about where culture's shifting in regards to what God has said. Hold God's standard high. The exception for the non-divorce clause is sexual immorality. And for those who have been down that road, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've experienced that brokenness. I'm sorry that you've gone through these things. And I hope that God is bringing healing and restoration in your life. Allow me to prod just a second. When we are talking about relationships, when we're talking about marriages, we're talking about reasons for divorce. Whenever I study about divorce in scripture, I feel the need to address domestic violence. And not only domestic violence, but abuse, because I've seen the church fail in this arena too many times. I've seen churches turn blind eyes to things that are going on in people's lives and people in the church not feeling safe to come and talk about what's going on and to get help and protection like they need. You realize when stay-at-home orders were issued for the pandemic last year, that was the worst nightmare for some women and children. You realize that was a nightmare for some women and children because they were now locked at home with abusers. And I'm calling out men here because statistically speaking, that is very heavily on that side. There can be spousal abuse going the other direction. But in most cases, it's women being abused by men. And your wife slapping you on the, on the shoulder does not count, guys, so don't you dare. You guys, this is something that I've been made aware of more and more as I've had conversations with people and been listening to different organizations locally that are helping women in violent situations. I did not even think about a stay-at-home order meaning that for a, a woman and her children. 
that they were now locked in a house with an abuser who's stressed and losing his job and already has anger issues. Gals, you know that that's a nightmare situation. For any women who are in abusive relationships, and and I recognize here, you guys, that we have an online ministry, but this stuff could be happening here too, so I address every single person that hears me. For any women who are in abusive relationships, this church body is ready to help you, amen? We're ready to help. We're going to step in the gap. This is why we seek to weave a thick web of relationships and accountabilities so that we not only know our people, but we're more able to see the signs of abuse because we're in relationship with each other. We know each other. And for those who may be listening in this room or online or will watch this message down the road, we have resources to locate you in a safe place to provide counseling and support whenever you need it. We have the resources. You're like, this is a tiny church. We have powerful partners. We have God on our side, and we have local organizations that we are partnered with. We will take care. We will protect you. Men, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Call to nourish and cherish them. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 30. Peter also tells husbands to live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel because they're heirs with the grace of life alongside you. Our wives are heirs in this grace. They're partnered with us in this. God holds fathers responsible for protecting and providing for their families. 1 Timothy 5.8 Don't rebel against God's design for marriage. Get help. We want to help heal the brokenness that's in our lives. And I recognize that not all of us look as nice on the inside as we do on the outside. I'm not threatening. I'm not condemning. I'm offering help. I'm offering peace. And hopefully joy restored to homes. This is the work that the Lord wants to do in our church. Jesus is trying to correct the culture around him. He's speaking truth to the culture around him to correct the problems, to correct the mindset and the hearts so that the lives beget health. And church, I just want to encourage you guys that that's what we need to be doing as well. We need to be doing the same things. You guys recognize this. God created us for marriage. God created Adam knowing that he would need Eve. Eve needed Adam. That has never changed. We need each other. Don't listen to the lies of Satan when he says that you're better off. And he speaks very subtly, doesn't he? I remember talking to a friend of mine years ago. It's like, man, I didn't wish, I, don't, I didn't recognize what I had when I was single. Oh, I wish I was single again. And first of all, I was like, what would ever make you say that? It wasn't something like sexual immorality was in the relationship. He just didn't like his wife anymore. He didn't speak to me after I said this to him. Still hasn't. <laughs> I said, you got a heart problem. You got a heart problem. You need to recognize it. You're just thinking about what you want and not what she needs. Married couples love each other. 
to all who are saved by the precious blood of Jesus, to married couples, dating couples, singles, divorcees, widows, widowers. We're all in this. Let the following be spoken over all our relationships. Jesus said this in John chapter 13. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're in this together. We're walking through this together. If you guys need counseling, let me know. If you guys need encouragement, let me know. If you need resources, we'll be part of a marriage group. Let's do what's necessary. Let's take care of each other. Right? Can we do that? Together? Again, like half nods. Guys, let's get in on this. This matters. Satan wants your family. Did you hear me? He wants your family. He wants to tear you limb from limb. And I pray over you guys regularly that Jesus says the prayer that he prayed over Peter. Satan has longed to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Satan wants to rip you all apart. He wants to rip my family apart. Resist the devil. Watch him run. Amen? Jesus, we are not able to do these things on our own. Lord, we are not capable of the change that we need. And so I ask that you would show us now, Lord, how to address these things in our lives. Lord, it is not my intention to have offended people this morning, but to challenge. Lord, not to cast them off, but to pull them near. Jesus, you didn't say things to cast people away from you that were looking for hope and encouragement. You spoke truth to show them that you were the answer. And so, Lord, change our hearts. Protect our families. Lord, for the broken whose families have fallen apart, restore them back. Jesus, we ask for you to do a work of restoration in our lives that we could never imagine. I pray, Lord, that you would reach those who have been unfaithful and you would change their hearts. I ask, God, that you would shape people according to your will again, that you would remake us for your glory, and, Lord, that your name would be honored in this world because of your church. Lord, My home was broken. And it's so hard to watch the fallout from that. It's so hard to have conversations with my siblings about it. It's hard, Lord, to see the conflict within them, the confusion. And Lord, I pray that you would heal all those who have been infected in this way. Lord, that we would just humbly make ourselves available to those who need help walking through and processing the pain. Somehow, make us one through this experience. Unify your church as we come broken together to you. Lord, as the hymn would say, naked we come to you for dress. We need to be healed. Working this time as we worship. I just want to encourage you guys, until we sing, just keep your heads bowed. Your eyes closed. Just let the Lord speak. Especially if there's pain. If this has struck a chord, 
He wants to, to work in our hearts and he wants to, to heal us. Let him do what he needs to do inside this morning.